Well, that's Ecclesiastes chapter 12 right there, boys. And apart from a very awkward Kenny Chesney (laughs) looking at me throughout that video, every time I watch it, the older I get, the more it makes me want to stop what I'm doing and go home. Now, I know it's a big commitment to not be there, at least it is for me when my kids wake up. Tuesday night, I watched my son uh, play his last high school basketball game. Uh, Turned his uniform in for the last time yesterday. Uh, May, my first little girl, I'm going to walk down an aisle, give her away. And uh, how many of you guys in this room are over 50? Raise your hand. How many of you guys uh, didn't raise your hand? <laughs> that video doesn't mean as much to you yet. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wagner's voice is cracking up there because his boy's not going to play basketball in front of him anymore. I got decades in front of me. Don't blink. This world will always always try and convince you that you need to run after stuff that just goes away. And if there's a book that men should study and study all the time, it's the one you're about to dive into. There's an old saying that says that uh, wise men will learn more from fools than fools will from wise men because while fools will not learn from the wisdom of the wise, wise men can learn from the foolishness of fools. And so we're about to read a book written by a guy who decided to throw some things down, who was filled with knowledge, but wasn't filled with wisdom until the end of his life. And that is a tragedy. At the end of his life, when Solomon was probably, I don't know how old he was, maybe 102, he uh, wrote a little song called Ecclesiastes where he said, don't blink. And he also said, don't bother with a few things that I have distracted myself with. This book ends, spoiler alert, with a guy just saying, at the end of the day, I figured this thing out. Man, if you don't hear from God and you don't walk with God, you have wasted your life. This guy's life is exactly what every life will be if you don't hear from the preacher. Uh, Koalath, that's what the uh, Jewish rabbis call this book. It's called The Preacher. And uh, this is a book where a man is going to sit you down at the end of his life and he's going to say, boy, listen to me. Solomon is the one guy that, as I love to say, uh, that ran out of mirages before he ran out of money. You guys understand that, right? You see a mirage, you go, I'm going to chase that thing. A mirage is something that looks life-giving, looks refreshing, looks like a place of rest, looks like a place of refuge, but you get there and you realize it was nothing more than an illusion that was created by the environment. And sometimes they can be very expensive to chase after, certainly physically taxing if you're in a desert. But in life, there's all kinds of mirages. And when you live in Dallas, boy, you can see them all the time. In Preston Hollow, Highland Park, the latest boob job that walked by in the mall. I don't know. They're everywhere. And they're saying, chase this, chase this, chase this. Well, Solomon caught him. And he still had some cash left in his pocket, could have chased some more. He just ran out of days. And so instead of chasing the next one, he finally surrendered to what God told him at the very beginning. Which is, first of all, 
uh, hedonism does not satisfy. Hedonism is the um, philosophy that, that when you just chase after that which brings pleasure to your soul, uh, you'll, frankly, never hunger or thirst again. And I got to tell you, I think if there was no God, I would be a hedonist. I wouldn't be a fatalist. <laughs> I would just be a hedonist. And I would do everything I could to get all the pleasure I could, as much as I could, as fast as I could. I didn't really care. I wouldn't care what it cost you because you're, you're here. Uh, same reason I'm here. We're just a product of time and nothing and chance. And so if I got to hurt you to get a little bit more pleasure than you, it's going to be a, a gift to you to get rid of you so that you move away from this bane existence into nothingness. And uh, if you have to hurt me to get rid of me because you have more power than me or strength than me, that's fine. Then you'll just stop me from my chasing after futility. And whoever can enjoy the most, the longest, doesn't win, but just enjoys more longer. But we just end up in the exact same place. And so the soonest that we can get to the place where we're not wasting our time expending more energy or resource than we can get a return on our investment of energy and resource, then let's just go to sleep forever. That's why you don't find very many uh, intellectually consistent atheists. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. You're going to read Solomon say that in this book. And that's the reason that most atheists, people who don't believe there's a God, um, do not live as if they were atheists. I've mentioned this before, but there's very few intellectually honest atheists. Atheists are people that don't believe there's a God. And they try, by the way, to convince themselves that all day long. The Bible doesn't even acknowledge um, philosophical atheism. They consider it such an absurd idea that it's not even worth wasting your time. Uh, and, and by the way, most atheists are not intellectually honest. The only one I've ever really seen that I think gets close to that is, um, is Ernest Hemingway, who lived for wine, women, and song. And the day that wine, women, and song was not enough, he just took a shotgun, put it in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. And said, that's it. I've had all the wine, all the women, all the song that I could want, and I'm still not happy, and so why sit around here? I'm gone. That's what you do if you don't believe there is more. Now, most men know there's more, and I don't think Hemingway did that with a lot of sobriety. He did it um, with a lot of things around him assisting him to make a deluded decision. A lot of wine. Because he had to suppress what was true inside of him that screamed, Ernest, this is not all there is. So this is a book written by a guy that is just telling you, hey, listen to me, man, so you don't have to go through. Be a wise man. Don't just have knowledge, okay? Be somebody that is wise and that understands a few things that are true. This is a book you ought to read a lot, just like that little song I've got on my iPod. I listen to a lot, and it makes me sometimes turn my car around, go back home. And spend a little time where I want to spend my time. But hedonism doesn't satisfy. This book teaches that. Uh, Having information or knowledge is not enough. This book teaches that. What young men do is they seek after pleasure. What men that are starting to be a little um, exasperated maybe or they think they need more to have more pleasure is they'll study, they'll learn. Uh, But you'll find out that learning isn't the goal. Application is the goal. There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom and understanding. That's why these three things are separated. That's why Solomon wrote, um, uh, by wisdom a house is built. It's the blueprint. It's the architecture for life. 
And if you don't have wisdom, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. Because wisdom is, is knowledge applied. An understanding man will take what he knows to be true and live according to it. By the way, the Bible does acknowledge philosophical atheism. Philosophical atheism, it says in Psalm 14, Psalm 53, it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay, the fool, the fool can't really convince himself that there is no God intellectually. Which, by the way, I just want to say this. I mean, this wasn't what I was going to talk about this morning. But have you really done your due diligence on the new atheist? Okay, so right now, just if you guys don't know much about new atheism, it's not just the idea that there's no God. It's a radical evangelistic um, guy that is trying to convince you and feels like it's his obligation to save you from monotheism or any other theism. And so he is out there trying to save you from yourself and feels like it's his job to educate the world and make sure the world isn't, isn't captured or um, seduced by this idea that there is a God that is out there. And so who would you guys say is one of the leading atheists that's out there that's gotten more publicity, sold more books, become more famous than any other atheist? Who would you guys say? Richard Dawkins, there you go. All right, he's number one. And because he's uh, one of them, uh, Oxford or Cambridge, where is he? He's one of those two. Oxford, because he's at this school that we have this great venerated um, perception of, and because he speaks with an English accent, so the biggest dunce in the world, if he throws an English accent at Americans, they're like, it's got to be smart, right? He speaks the queen's tongue. So you get an Oxford guy, and he sits there, and he starts to tell you and pontificate about all these things that are true. By the way, Dawkins, he's not a good philosopher at all. And when he is pressed, if you've never watched the movie Expelled, I would highly encourage you to pick it up. And you'll have to sit through some stuff that maybe bores you a little bit, although I think it's kind of interesting the way that you see that our educational system is um, stacked against science, frankly, against honest dialogue and discussion, because science is always learning and always evolving. It's just an observation of, um, of data that we can assimilate. And the more that we learn, the more we start to see it pushes us again and again towards what the scriptures have always said is true. So they have to suppress fair dialogue and debate because all of our institutions and a lot of these guys have studied their whole life and built their life on this idea that's wrapped around a worldview that goes this direction. But at the very end, uh, Ferris Bueller's teacher is sitting there with Dawkins, Ben Stein, and he's interviewing Dawkins. He got an interview with Dawkins. And so he leans into Dawkins and, he said, and, and, he, and Dawkins is starting to kind of talk a little bit too much and he, he, he's, he's getting to the point where he acknowledges, I don't really know. And they go, wait a minute. You don't really know what? And he's like, I, look, this, my theories are just theories. It's not real science. And I'm not really sure where we came from or why we're here. And so he goes, well, come on, what's your best answer? You've got to, you're Richard Dawkins. And Dawkins says at the end, spoiler alert, he goes, I don't know, aliens? In other words, the idiot that's, uh, that's not fair, because um, it's a stereotype, and I'm sure there's some really good men, but the guy that has no sense that, uh, walks into a grocery store and buys the National Enquirer and reads about the latest incident out there from Area 51 and the world conspiracist and the person that has been you know, taking photos of weather balloons and 
and, and tracking every conspiracy theory out there in the world who thinks that aliens exist has got as much insight into what's going on as your Oxford atheist. Oh, well. Aliens. That's what you got, Richard? That's what he's got. You got to come up with some, some explanation. Fool has said in his heart, there is a philosophical atheist. A philosophical atheist is a guy who lives as, a, or excuse me, a pra, uh, 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 who practically, not a philosophical, a practical atheist is somebody who lives as if there's no God. Because here's the truth. Uh, while very few of us in this room believe there, uh, believe there is a God, we are tempted every day and seduced to believe that he's not there and he's not good. See, we don't believe that God isn't there. We just practically believe he can't be trusted. And practical atheism is a real problem. Practical atheism will have you chase after pleasure. It will have you chase after human knowledge and human advancement. And, and it'll have you chase after hoarding. While hedonism doesn't satisfy, hoarding doesn't provide hope. So what Solomon does is he chase after knowledge intellectualism or sophism and then he'll chase after material accumulation and possessions um you guys know that uh, i mentioned a couple weeks ago that i love the cartoon the far side and, and another one of my favorite far sides has two guys in a morgue and they're walking through and there's you know a bunch of guys that are laying there dead and there's one guy that's kind of rifling through guys pockets and he goes oh man look ernie this guy has the winning lottery ticket in his pocket and the guy next to him goes, lucky stiff. I think that's funny. That lottery ticket doesn't do that stiff any good at all. And it won't do the guys who think they can cash it in much good either. I love Calvin and Hobbes. If you want to just get some good insight in human nature, go back and get a good Calvin and Hobbes book. Uh, the guy that wrote it's a believer. And... It's named after two famous theologians. There's a little boy and his imaginary uh, stuffed tiger friend, and they have lots of dialogue. And the one guy's always um, talking about uh, his understanding. The little boy saying things, and his tiger friend, his stuffed animal, is trying to speak truth to him. And so, at one little point, you know, this little boy is saying, "Man, getting is better than having." This is just Solomon and it's a young man. And, and the boy says, when you get something, it's new and exciting. When you have something, you take it for granted and it's boring. Getting is better than having. And so his tiger friend, Calvin's always speaking truth to him, says, but everything you get turns into something you have. And the boy goes, that's why you always need to get new things. This book just will tell you, man, don't waste your time accumulating a bunch of knowledge. Don't waste your time accumulating a bunch of things. Don't waste your time accumulating a bunch of pleasure. Don't blink, man, because you'll have spent your life in vanity. It's a great book for us to read and be reminded of continually. And not just to read it alone, but to read it together. And to go, okay, we all agree with this now philosophically. Let's not practically ignore it. Let's get after living as if we had the wisdom of old men. See, because the guys that raised their hand first in this room, guys over 50, they know how true this is. The guys um, who are maybe on their second wife, who have chased a lot of those boob jobs, the guys that have the houses and the towns that you want to have them, the guys that have degrees from universities that were supposed to matter, 
who have lost relationship with their kids or who have uh, homes that are cost them a lot of money every year in the tax rolls but are not sweet places to go home to. They know what Solomon's got to tell you. And uh, I would encourage you guys to chase after this. Chase after the truth that is in this book. Let me just give you the entire book of Ecclesiastes in one chapter. You ready? Turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Let's just read this together. And what I love about this book specifically, guys, and what I'll say to you real quickly, is that um, Solomon addresses two people. He He addresses the atheists. The first couple of chapters deal with atheism, and it deals with this idea that this world is really hard to figure out and explain. I was at a, a thing on Monday, I was speaking at a, a symposium, symposium for child uh, advocacy, Mr. Child Sexual Abuse. And um, I was on a panel with one of the guys who's one of the leading uh, educators of prosecutors and, um, and child advocacy interviewers that are trying to uh, um, help you know, predators and um, men and women that are abusing children be exposed and caught and how we can prosecute effectively. And uh, I was there to give a faith perspective. And one of the quotes that this guy pulled out by a gal I thought was really good. He said, kids and the world, frankly, doesn't struggle with the idea that sexual abuse exists as long as there is no God. And, and they don't struggle with the idea that there is a God in a world but without sexual abuse. Where people struggle is the idea that there is a God with abuse of children because that's a problem for people and so uh, what basically one of the questions I was asked is how do you answer the question I mean we all know that if there's a God he wouldn't let kids suffer this way and we all know if there isn't a God it would make sense that kids suffer this way so but how do you harmonize the two because you think there's a God and kids are suffering this way that was my softball and so you know Solomon dives right into that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and just says, hey man, atheists have got ammunition. In other words, there is enough problem and confusing realities in this world that atheists have reasons to not believe in God. And so he, he deals with that, but then he goes, really, and this is the part that's going to be really helpful for us, in the next 10 chapters, he says, here's the other deal though, atheists have ammunition, but believers have amnesia. Because believers have already kind of resolved the question that atheists have, that I answered Monday night, and you need to learn to answer. But a lot of people that go, okay, there is a God, and we understand why there's evil and darkness and sin in this world, but we forget, and we live as if we're atheists. And we chase after intellectualism, hedonism, and materialism. And Solomon is saying, the atheist and the believer with amnition are both making a terrible mistake. That's the book you're about to study. Here's the book of Proverbs wrapped up in one chapter. It's Proverbs 4. Watch this. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son on the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will guard you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Now remember, 
at the start of this whole book, he said it's the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Okay? But if you just have knowledge, this is a book that will tell you knowledge is not enough. Solomon had all kinds of knowledge. It took him, though, his entire life to get wisdom. Do not forget her to turn away. Do not forsake her. She will guard you. It said in verse 6. Verse 7 now. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her. Now watch this, gang. Prize the truth in this book. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of her beauty. Hear, my son, accept my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Guard her. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass it on. Can I just say this to you guys? This is the reason that Fifty Shades of Grey is a problem. It is the path of evil. And when you, if you think you can go and expose yourself to that stuff, that fantasy that being a billionaire like Mr. Gray and being able to seduce impressionable young girls and, and use them to feed your psychosis and have a moment of physical pleasure, the more you put that stuff before you, the more that path is going to go, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Some said, just don't even go there. That's why I did that real truth real quick. I, I want to tell you, it's not that real truth real quick that I just did. I would encourage you to watch it, not just for Seasons of Grey. That's going to come and go. No one, you guys may not believe this, but no one's even going to know what Seasons of Grey was in 10 years. Thank you very much. Shades of Grey. Seasons of Grey is a movie we made. I recommend it, all right? Shades of Grey. You guys know what I mean. Thank you very much. The reason I do that real truth real quick is I spend the first three and a half, four minutes on that thing helping you figure out how to figure out what paths to walk. I don't even hardly talk about shades of gray. I talk about this is how you discern should I walk down that path. And then I do a little bit. By the way, I'll just throw this out. You guys know, I mean, what's the name of the guy that seduces the girl? What's his name? First name? Christian. What's the name of the little girl that gets seduced? Anastasia. That's the Greek word for resurrection. I mean, there's a whole lot more going on here. Hey, man, this is where the life is. You follow your Messiah. It'll be a resurrection to a new life. Let me take you into this inner sanctum and this inner room to do things you've never done before, and it will explode into new life. Let me tell you, there is a battle that is going on, and it's sometimes subtle. There is no new life there, and he is no Messiah. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make, them, make someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness, drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It goes brighter and brighter until the new day comes. You want to get up early and watch a sunset, man, you know? It's always darkest before the dawn. It's always darkest before you really understand the truth about who God is. And then all of a sudden, it starts to come, this understanding, this Ecclesiastes 12 life. And if you'll follow it, man, you just watch, you just watch goodness and light invade the world. And it will invade yours. And if you walk with him, it'll grow brighter and brighter until that noonday sun. That's your future. That's the picture that Solomon gives you here. This is the entire book in one chapter. 
But the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, health to their body. What is your view of God's word? If you don't look at this thing, <clears throat> this is not a daily task that you've got to perform so that God won't be pissed and won't strike you with lightning or make your business deal go bad. If that's your view of the Bible, you're not going to read it. And when you read it, you read it begrudgingly. But if you go, this is life. This is God reminding me who he is so I don't forget, so I don't live practically as if I'm Richard Dawkins. This is a book to remind you that God is good and he is worth chasing. And if you've got to watch Kenny Chesney before you dive in, do it. And be reminded that this is a vapor. When Solomon says this world is a vanity, it doesn't mean that it's a cruel joke. All he's saying is, it's stupid to live for a wisp. And what he's saying is, if you live for this world, this world is gone. And sooner or later, man, everybody's going to be sitting around, eating some bad finger food, wearing suits, mulling around, talking about you for 15 minutes, and then time marches on. And what Solomon is saying is, guys, live for what matters. And by the way, you, you guys know that this life is not about pleasure. You don't see guys dying and they go, what do you want? They go, just bring me one more playboy. Let me bring one more girl I need to dance for me. Have you ever heard that? No, because they know that stuff's just stupid. You know what they want? What do people want when they're dying? Let me see my son. Bring my high school sweetheart by my side one more time. Let me hold her hand. And you don't want to have to look at her and say, I'm so sorry that I bought you a nice house and a nice car and chased nice things and I never gave you me. Because you're still about to have those things, but I'm gone. Relationships, man. Love. People. That which is going to be around forever. The word of God, God himself, and people. The other two are eternal. They always was and always will be. People are septernal. They were created and they'll never go away. The book of Ecclesiastes is for men. And it's saying, boys, lock in right now on what matters. I know it's a lot to ask you to read 12 chapters. That's why I gave you Proverbs 4. But you know what? I know it's a lot to read Proverbs 4. So let me give you the song of Ecclesiastes in one verse. You ready? It's Proverbs chapter 13. Verse 13. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. That's the whole book in one verse. If you don't like that, I'll give it to you in verse 15. Verse 15 is the whole verse, again, a whole book in one verse. Good understanding produces favor. But watch this. Solomon is saying the way of the treacherous is hard. Uh, I'll close with two analogies. I, I, this, this is, I just need to be reminded of this stuff all the time, so I'm just constantly thinking about this topic because I don't want to be a believer with amnesia. I'm not an atheist, but man, sometimes I live like an atheist because I got amnesia, and so I need the teacher. I need the preacher, okay, who's going to let me hear from God, not the philosopher who's going to tell me the latest scheme or dream of man. I need the preacher who will tell me facts. 
this is true, Wagner, you're going to die. There's a God that's there. You're going to give an answer. In your life, you want to matter for something. So God's telling you, invest in that which matters. Michael Jordan is a contemporary of mine. He grew up around the same game he did, around the same time that he did. And so when you watch a guy go forward and, and become the guy, you watch his life and you, and you seek to learn him. And I, and I love to share this story. I will never forget when GQ and Michael was right at the peak of being Michael. They did a survey and they said, okay, man, if you could be any guy that you wanted to be, who would you want to be for a week? And Jordan won. And so they went and said, okay, Michael, we're going to put you in front of GQ in a nice custom tailored suit, give you the big cigar, let you wear the big smile. We're going to write a story about you because you're the guy that every other guy wants to be. And they interviewed him, and they said, Michael, how does it feel to be the one guy in the face of the earth that if all the guys could be any one guy, they would choose to be you for a week? And he said, well, why wouldn't they? That doesn't surprise me. He said, I'd want to be me for a week. He said, but make them be me for a year. And then have them vote again. And I go, that is profound. Because what he's saying is, I don't have to wait till I'm 102, man. I've got all the women I want, all the money I want, all the power I want, and I want something else. He needs a preacher to this day. Michael Jordan, you know, his little empire that he has built, he has different names for everybody. Do you know what the name he makes, his code name is? You know what he makes people call him? Anybody know? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's the name for God. Because he's trying to convince himself that he's got this whole thing figured out, except he knows he doesn't. And he said a long time ago, I don't have to figure that out. You know what God says? Hey, let them be with me forever. They don't even need to be me. Let them be with me forever and they will have life. See, God would never say, make them be me for a year and see if they like it. God's saying, hey, I'm good enough that just being in my presence forever will satisfy you. You don't even need to be me. Just be near me. Gentlemen, that's the way you should live. I'm not going to waste your time because I'd rather have you spend time with each other, but I have a clip up here of today's Michael Jordan, the guy that many people are now saying is the greatest warrior ever to walk on a football field, not as a warrior, but as the guy, Tom Brady, married to Gazelle, right? and uh, has everything that he ever wanted, but he did a 60 Minutes about a couple of years ago, and there's an interview, and at the very end of that thing, Tom Brady looks at the camera, and he just says, there's, there's got to be something more, man. Same thing Jordan said. Same thing everybody's always said who doesn't know God. And you know what's crazy? Is we still chase those guys. Instead of listening to those guys who are trying to tell us from the top, don't climb this hill. Seek God. Don't blink. Father, I pray for these men that as we study Ecclesiastes in the days ahead, that we, we learn to seek what you want us to seek, that we might be the men, that we want to be men whose lives matter, men who live life on purpose, men whose lives women and children are grateful for. And the world, though they may forget us, say there's a legacy there, that if more men can learn from him, this world will be a better place. I pray that there'd be Five, six hundred more men like that in ten weeks. I pray those of us who are not philosophical atheists would be reminded of your goodness that we might not live practically like we're atheists. Let us not be fools who make choices today as if there was no God.
I thank you just, Lord, for um, what we're going to learn. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're gracious, that you're always wanting to pull us back and remind us of things that are true. And I thank you for this book, that you had a man write it down. And I pray that we'd be wise men. We'd learn from the foolishness of his poorly invested life, that we might invest ours wisely. Let us learn from this guy who said, I was a fool, even though he had all this knowledge. Let us learn from his mistakes that we may not end our lives saying, dang, but thank you. Thank you, Father, for putting us on this course. I pray for guys in this room that are maybe late in their life that feel like they've already made a mistake. I thank you that it's not too late to recover because you've given us another day. And so show us truth that we might begin to make amends and leave a legacy with everything we got left that will bring us joy and you glory and others good. In Jesus' name. Amen.